Well, again, it's, a, it's an honor and a privilege for me to, to preach this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you want to turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be reading verses 17 to 21. And again, I would ask you, please, if you can, to to stand up for in honor of God's word. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this passage again, I, I just pray that you would, one, one more time, help us to understand the depth of the gospel the truth of what you have done for us and use this message to encourage us and to motivate us to live for Christ for the rest of our lives pray this in Christ's name amen you you may be seated We read few verses here, but our focus is going to be verse 21 uh, of, this, of this chapter. And the reason why I chose to, to preach on this verse is really kind of threefold. First of all, it is my favorite Bible verse in all the scriptures. And hopefully by the end you will see why. Uh, secondly, I, th- I think there is no other single verse that truly explains how the gospel actually works. When we talk about the gospel, we usually say that Jesus died for me, and we kind of stop there. But this gives us some depths to it that I feel, and I know that if we understand it, it would bless us tremendously. And thirdly, I truly believe that if we really understand what this passage is saying, it will take care of all of us, all of our spiritual silly problems that we deal as individuals and churches and it and it will thrill our hearts and it will motivate us in such a way that we will live for God and we will love him more we will love him truly and we will serve him faithfully if we just understand 
what has been done for us through Christ. And hopefully we will see that too as we go through this passage. Now let's start with, with verse 21. And I want to read it a little bit differently. I'm just going to change it slightly. I'm going to change the plurals that are there, ours, our, and we, to, uh, to singular. So this is how I'm going to read it. Verse 21. For my sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him I might become the righteousness of God. And I want you to, the reason why I did that is so that you could feel personally what has been done for you on the cross. So let's start with the first part. For my sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Now, this is the truth, as I said in the first service, that if we truly understand, it will make us get up and run around for joy and scream for joy. Just think about it for a moment. God, God, our Creator, made Him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for you. And for me, for my sake, and for your sake. Just ponder that for a moment. What it means that God had made Christ, the Holy One, to be sin for your sake and for my sake. Now, if that doesn't cause us to, to rejoice, I want to help you a little bit to understand how important that is. So turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28 Deuteronomy chapter 28 and as you're turning there this is a passage I mean we know that in the Old Testament God gave the law to Moses and um, to that law he attached blessings for those who obey the law and also he attached curses that would come upon those who didn't obey the law in Deuteronomy 28, is all about these blessings and curses that would come upon people who either obeyed or disobeyed the law of God. And I want to read, first of all, starting in verse 1, some of the blessings that God promised to people who would obey the law of God. And I will read a few verses here. I don't know how many. We'll see. I said in the first service, the more I read, the better, because everything I say when I read Scripture would be absolutely perfect, so I don't have to worry about saying anything wrong. So, let's start in verse 1. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments that I command you today, the Lord your, your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall, you be, shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be the basket in your kneading bowl. Blessed shall, be, shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will, the Lord will cause your, your enemies who arise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you 
on one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and on all that you undertake. And he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you if you keep his commandments, the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in in his ways. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity and the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your livestock and in the fruit of your ground within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens to give the rain to your land on its season and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you shall only go up and not down if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I commanded you today, being careful to do them. And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I commanded you today, to the right hand or to the left, to go after other gods, to serve them. These are the blessings that God promised to people who would obey his commandments. But the truth is that all of these blessings that I just mentioned, that we just read here, none of them are yours. And none of them are mine. Because all of us have disobeyed God and have broken, have broken his commandments, every one of them. So none of these belong to you. And none of these belong to me. However, what belongs to us is what follows. And it's a long list of curses that God would bring upon people who disobey his law. I'm going to read some of them, starting in verse 25, I mean 15. Listen to what it says. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be, in the, shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration in all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the pestilence stick to you until he has consumed you off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever, inflammation and fiery heat and with drought and with blight and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish. And the heavens over your head shall be bronze, and the earth under you shall be iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder. From heaven dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed. I think we get the point. But you can continue to read all those curses until the end of the chapter. Chapter verse 68. He just names all the curses that will come upon the people who disobeyed the law of God. And all of these curses belong to you. 
and they belong to me because you have broken the law of God and I have broken the law of God now keeping that all in mind turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 again And let me read that verse, that first part again. For our sake, for my sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. On the cross, Jesus Christ, the Holy Son of God, the Eternal One, was made sin for your sake on the cross he was made a curse for you now what does it mean that he was made sin how was he made sin for us did he become a sinner on the cross did he somehow become evil on the cross? Some actually teach that. Last year, a very famous um, false teacher, Todd White, was preaching on this verse, and this is what he says. It's, it's disturbing. And I quote him. He was saying, Christ became an inventor of evil on the tree. Christ became a child pornography on the tree. Christ became a thief on the tree. Jesus became addiction on the tree. Jesus became a hater of God on the tree. Jesus became lost on the tree. Jesus became Satan worshiper on the tree. Jesus became bestiality on the tree. And he was saying some other things that I can't mention. But that's not true. Jesus did not become any of those things on the tree. Even on the cross, he was the perfect, holy, Son of God. Now, what does that mean? What, what does it mean that He was made sin for us? Well, to use an Old Testament picture of it, if you if you remember when a person would sin, and he would bring the sacrifice to the priest. When he would bring an animal, a lamb or whatever to, to, to be slaughtered for that sin, what the priest would do, he would put the hand of that, uh, his hand on the head of that animal and that symbolized that the sin of the person was being transferred into the lamb. And then the lamb was slaughtered. The lamb was treated as the sinner deserved to be treated. The lamb who did not commit the sin 
was treated as the person who deserved, who, as the person who committed the sin, it deserved to be treated. The payment for sin, the Bible says, is what? Death. The person who committed the sin deserved to die, but yet, through the sacrificial system, the sin of the person was transferred to the sacrifice, and the sacrifice was treated in a way became a sin in the place of the sinner. Same with Christ. He never became a sin himself. But the sins of all God's people were, were put upon him, were heaped upon him. Our sins were imputed to him. They were transferred to him. And when that happened, he was treated by God as you and I deserve to be treated. He was treated by God as though he had committed all of our sins, although he had not committed any of them. On the cross, Christ was cursed by God. All those curses that we just read in Deuteronomy 18, 28, all those curses that should come upon us were put upon Christ. This is why Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. They all fell upon him. And he willingly, he willingly did this. He did this because of his love for sinners, his love for you. He bore the wrath of God upon himself for you. He was treated as you deserve to be treated for your sins. This is what he did. This is what it means that he became sin for us. He died on my place. And I don't know about you, but when I think of that, when I think of my sin, even now as a Christian, all my sin and my evil and my shortcomings and my failings, he knew all of that. It's not surprising to him that I turned out this way. He knew all of this before I even was born. And yet he made a commitment to save me and to save you. He's not like one of those young couples that are in love when they're engaged and they love each other so much. But then a few months after they get married, they say, man, if I just knew... What did I get myself into? Christ knew all of it. All of it. 
he still made a commitment to save you and to bear the wrath of God for you. Isn't that amazing love? Shouldn't this be the greatest motivation for us to go out and live for him and obey him and give our lives to his service? We don't need any other motivation. This is enough. I heard a story of a young guy who was really, who was really evil and he knew it. And somebody shared the gospel with him and he got saved. And a week, a week later, he was out there at the campus where he was in college and he was giving gospel tracts to people. And his friends went to him and said, what are you doing? Everybody thinks you're crazy. What has happened to you? And all he, all he could say is, he, he died for me. He died for me. How can I not talk about him? Now for you as a believer in Christ, does that do something to your heart? Does it thrill you to know what he has done for you? I hope it does. If it doesn't, you really have not understood the depth of the gospel. He was made sin for you. He was cursed on your behalf. That should be enough, but there's more here. Uh, this verse has the second part. And the second part says, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God or as I said, to make it more personal so you feel the weight of it, so that in him I might become the righteousness of God. We need to understand that in order for us as sinners, as God-hating sinners, to be reconciled to an absolutely holy God, we need something more than just a payment for our sin. That's just half of the truth. We need to be perfectly holy and righteous in order to stand before Him and not be consumed. I can give you an example. If a, if a, if a criminal committed a great crime and he's sentenced for 30 or 40 years in prison and he goes and serves that time and he comes out. We, people are not going to look at him and say, look at what a righteous person he is. No. He's a criminal who has just served his time in prison. His debt has been paid but he has not become righteous because of that. So we need something more. We don't just need our sins forgiven. We need to be righteous before God. Now I'm going to say something that you're probably going to disagree. 
but I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to say that the Bible teaches that only those who are absolutely perfect are going to go to heaven. Only those who have lived an absolutely perfect life and have obeyed the law of God in every point are going to go to heaven. And you might think that that's not true, but it is. It is. There's a reason why I read Psalm 15 in the beginning, so I want you to turn there for a moment. Go to Psalm 15, and let me read it again to you. So in verse 1 of this psalm, we have a question that David asks, and then the rest of it is an answer to that question. Listen to what it says. O Lord, verse 1, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? That's another way of saying who's going to be in your presence? Who's going to be with you? Who's going to live in your presence? And hear the answer. He, verse 2, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right. Every one of you falls short right there. We don't even need to read the rest, but I'm going to. Who does not slander with his tongue and does, not, and does no evil to his neighbor, nor take, takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swear to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent, he who does these things shall not be moved. So the answer to the question, who is going to dwell in your presence, is those who are perfect. Those who have obeyed the law of God in every point. Now if you are like me, you are asking the question, how in the world? If that's the standard, if that's the standard for us to go in the presence of God is to be absolutely perfect, then who, who's going to get there? Furthermore, Revelation 20, uh, 21-27 says, But nothing, nothing unclean will ever enter heaven, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. We don't, only, we don't only need our sins forgiven to go to heaven. We need to be perfect. We need to be righteous. And this is why I love the second part of this verse. Because this, this tells us how we become righteous. Look at the second part of verse 21. So the first part is he... For my sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him... I might become the righteousness of God. Usually when we talk about how we are saved from sin, we talk about, yep, Jesus died for me. That's how I'm saved. And that's true. 
but it's half the, half the truth. We need to say also that Jesus also lived for me. He didn't just die for me. He lived for me. Before Jesus died on the cross, he lived for some 30 years or so. And he is the only one who obeyed the law of God in every point without ever failing. We were supposed to do that. And we never did. You look at the first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength. And you know that you have never done that in your life. Truly. Even in my best days walking with God, I know that that has not been the case. But with Christ, every moment of his life, that was true for him. He loved God with all his heart and his mind and his soul and his strength every second of his life. And he fulfilled the law of God in every point for us. Because he didn't need to do that for himself. He was perfect. So I say again, if all we needed for us to be reconciled to God was that our sins, for our sins to be paid for, Jesus could have come here just for about a week or, or three days or so, die on the cross, rise again on the third day, and go home. That would have taken care of it. But no. He lived. He started as a babe. And he lived a perfect life. And he, remember this, he earned, he merited righteousness for us by fulfilling the law of God in every point. So in one sense, we, we can actually say that, yes, we are saved by works. But it's not our work. It's the work of Christ. It's his obedience. It's his perfect obedience. And now, the way we become righteous is in the same way that our sin was imputed to him and he was made sin for us. When we, please listen to this, when we believe the gospel, when we are born again and we put our faith in Christ, in the same way that our sin is imputed to him and he's made sin on our behalf, his righteousness is imputed to us and we are declared righteous before God and we are treated by God as though we had fulfilled the law of God in every point. That should give you a great joy and it should thrill your heart that you would be treated by God as a person who has kept all of his laws, although you have broken all of them. But he, he did it for you. This is why Psalm 14, the requirements it's of Psalm 15, sorry, are fulfilled. Yes, only the perfect people will go to heaven. But there's only one way that we can become perfect, and that is through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ to us. And when God looks at you, 
because of your faith in Christ. He counts you righteous and he treats you as such because you've been covered by his righteousness. This is the only way to have peace with God. This is the only way to be reconciled to a holy God. This is why Romans 8, 1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Just think about that. Just think about from going to being cursed into a place where there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 5.1 Therefore since we have been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. By faith in Christ you will be treated as Christ deserved to be treated. And he was treated as you deserve to be treated. He bore the wrath of God upon himself. Now I have to give a caution here because some people can take this and run with it and say, well, that sounds wonderful. Now since I am counted righteous and I am holy before God, I guess it doesn't matter what I do anymore. I can go live like the devil and I will be saved anyways. But that's not the case. It's not the case. And I hope in the future sometimes to, to preach another message about the implication of this truth. How this will affect the life of the person who truly believes this. Because this will change the heart of the person. Remember in verse 17? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The heart is changed. And the person who truly believes this the person who truly believes this truth, he's not going to go and say, well, that's great. I'm just going to go sin now. No, a regenerate heart is going to hear that and say, oh, what a love. How can I offend a Savior who loves me so much? How can I sin against the one who has done this for me? Remember Joseph in the Old Testament? when he was approached by the, the wife of the Potiphar, of all the things that he could say, he said, I, I can't do this against my God. That's how a Christian talks. And this truth, as I said in the beginning, this truth, to know this, to know what has been done for us, it's enough to cause us to love God and to love others. We all want you and I want myself to be more committed to God, to be more committed to Christ, to love Him more, to, to serve Him more, to love others more. But what's going to fix that? This truth, this understanding of what has been done for me. Because when I know that, I know that He has, been, has done the same thing for you. And how can I not love you? How can I not have a fellowship with you when I know that you are 
bought by the blood of Christ. That's what would help us have good fellowship with one another. The truth of the gospel alone will cause that. And we will serve God and we will love others if we only understand what has been done for us. You know, it's common these days in modern times not to talk about sin a lot. Just talk about God's love and all of that. And you cannot understand the love of God truly until you understand how evil sin is and how evil we are and what we have been saved from. Jesus said, he who has been forgiven much loves much. And I feel like countless preachers who don't tell people how sinful they are, they're keeping them away from loving Christ truly because they just think they're wonderful people who just need a little bit of help from Christ. No. You are a hater of God. You are evil, sinful, and He has saved you from all of that. And you should love Him. Now, I want to end by some applications here. First of all, if any of you here do not believe the gospel, do not know Christ as a Savior, please listen. I'm not going to ask you to, to just pray a simple prayer. I'm going to ask you to think about what, what we have been saying here. Understand that you are a sinner. And not just a little one. You have offended a holy God with your sin. An eternally holy God. And your sin is an eternal offense. And it will deserve eternal punishment. You are a hater of God. And an enemy of him. Your sin is so evil. That. If God were to send you to hell right now. The whole creation would applaud God. That he got rid of you. That's how sinful you are. And as long as you keep refusing to believe the gospel. All you do is you just heap up wrath for yourself for the day of judgment. This is what Romans 2.25 says. That the longer you live refusing the gospel, you are just piling up wrath for the day of judgment. And it will come upon you. And it will destroy you eternally. So I plead with you. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. God has provided a way for you to escape this tragedy. And do not reject it. On the cross, Christ bore the wrath for all those sins. For sinners like you and me. And if you repent and believe the gospel, your sin will be taken away. And you will be covered by the righteousness of Christ. 
and you will stand before him blameless and holy and you will live in his presence forever do not reject this great offer come to Christ he is a perfect savior secondly as we think about our church and the times that we are going through I love Richland Baptist Church and I really I really want this church to be a church which is which is a God honoring church Christ exalting church spirit empowered church but I I'm going to be honest and I say that I do have some concerns for our church and so I want to give some admonitions to first of all to the leaders of this church if you are in leadership in this church in any capacity remember one thing you, you are called by God and if you are not sure if you are you should stop being a leader you are called by God to minister to his sheep here remember these sheep these sheep were bought by his blood and they are precious to him and you have a great responsibility of how you deal with them and you will give an account one day before him so please feed them feed God's sheep with his truth instruct them to, to set their minds on things above and not on the things of this earth don't just talk to, to them about the problems on this, of this life lift them up to think of the future and when we as sheep tend to, to be tempted by the world or to, or to go by the worldly things show us Christ talk to us about him how wonderful he is how precious he is so that we would reject everything that the world has to offer and embrace him and go after him don't use worldly ideas and strategies and techniques to try and keep us fed. Feed us the word. Use the book. This is what God has given you for, your, for the sheep. And this is alone has the power to, to make us live for Christ. And remember one more thing, that as a church leader, your primary task is to feed the sheep that are in the church, not to entertain the goats out there. 
I think this is the greatest problem in the church today. It's too busy trying to reach the goats, and they're starving the, the sheep that are inside. If you want to reach the goats out there, feed your sheep very well. Show them how precious Christ is and what he has done for them, and they will go out there and talk about Christ because they won't be able to hold that in. And as we're going through the process of getting a new shepherd, I asked the, the search committee, remember you have a great responsibility. You have a great responsibility. And don't take this lightly. I'm amazed at how, how quick people jump into these responsibilities and not think seriously what's, what's at stake. Be careful. Be careful and be discerning who you bring in. Don't bring someone who, who only cares about helping us with our, life, our life's disappointments here and now. Search for someone who is actually called by God to be a shepherd and not someone who only needs a job. Look for someone who is committed to this book and who would not compromise any of the truths of this book, even if it costs them their lives. That's what we need. Bring someone who is, who is, as Paul said, determined to know and to preach nothing among us except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We don't need modern ideas and philosophies and strategies to help our church. This is destroying churches left and right. And it's actually turning them to nothing more than social clubs and we just come and have fun together that's not what we need we need the word of God being preached faithfully so I say again search committee team please remember your responsibility before God you will give an account for who you bring in here Lastly, to all of you, brothers and sisters who are in Christ, I hope that this truth of what God has done for us thrills your heart. And all I want to ask you is just get out of here, go home, love Christ, serve Him. Obey Him. And let's come together again next Sunday and worship Him and praise Him for what He has done for us. Because He alone deserves our worship and our service. Let's pray. Father, again, I just want to thank you for the truth of the gospel. And I pray, God, that when we think of the gospel, that we don't just think of simple, milky things that Jesus died for me and I'm saved, but we really dig deep into this truth that you were made sin for us. 
and we are made righteous and holy because of your obedient life. And I pray that this will be our motivation for living for you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.